Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Okay, let's not joke about this, folks. Coming out is hard. It is not the easiest thing in the world to do. But I want you for just a moment to imagine what it feels like to battle this from a race perspective. Or to be someone who has immigrated into the U.S. in your second generation and you come from a very conservative values family perspective with all those expectations and fears of like, wow, my parents, they worked so hard to get me here and I'm going to disappoint them because of this. It maybe wasn't part of the American dream. Well, today that's what we're exploring here on Life Uncloseted. I have a wonderful guest who has a brand new book out called Brown and Gay in LA. And he happens to be a brown boy. And he has written a book that really explores some conversations he's had with lots of different groups of men in the person of color communities. And he also brings his own story to really help shed light on what does it truly feel like when you're coming of age and coming through these challenges of being that son or daughter of a Latino, Filipino, person of color community, and you're gay or queer. I can't wait to have this conversation with my guest, Anthony Acampo, and welcome to the podcast, buddy. So glad to have you here. And thank you for putting this book out in the world. I think this is going to have great impact for a lot of people. So welcome. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I appreciate that um, this conversation is going to help the book get out in the world because I know that you reach... A lot of different folks in all different places of the globe. So that's very, very cool. Well, and I and appreciate that. But here's the thing. If we don't tell these stories, as you know, Anthony, I think that's part of the reason you pulled this book together, is if we don't tell these stories, the stories go silent. They go mute. Mm -hmm. And then where do we end up? And I think that's part of what you've discovered is if people don't have this voice, they feel like they're mute and they're not seen or heard. So um, as you pulled it together... Let's start with like for you, why was this like compelling? I mean, I know you're a professor of sociology at Cal State um, Poly in Southern California, but what was it like, oh, I, I have got to do this? Oh man, I feel like it, as an academic, there's always academic reasons to pursue a topic. And, you know, of course, when I was first working on it in, in my field, you got to justify why this matters. So, of course, I, you know, I came with like the formal justification, which was when we talk about immigration, when we talk about race, we're often focused on the experiences of members of those communities that are straight or we just presume that everybody there is straight. And in my life, coming of age as a queer person in L.A., uh, let's just say I, I knew a whole lot of people. Uh, in my especially during the early part of my coming out experiences that happened to be both gay and folks of color or or from immigrant families and I thought how come there these experiences that I'm witnessing aren't included in the narrative um, but to be honest on a very personal note I was maybe in my early 20s when I first started thinking about writing this I, th I didn't start writing it until my early 30s but I 
the the ideas for the book or even the idea of pursuing the the book was uh it came much earlier than that because i i'm an only child <laughs> from an immigrant family my parents are immigrants from the philippines and to be honest i felt like i just wanted to talk to other young men who had my same experiences to see how they navigated their relationship with their families after coming out as gay because i didn't really have a, a template there's nothing on tv there's nothing in books um at least i didn't know at the time and so i just felt like i needed to learn by having these conversations and then slowly but surely i thought oh shit i gotta write a book about this as you began exploring because this is this is was my experience i'm not saying that everybody has the same experience did you find yourself getting your own eyes almost opened again in different ways because you started hearing other people's takes on where they were? Oh, absolutely. It felt like every time I spoke with one of these young men, no matter if they were older than me, my same age or younger than me, I felt like I was reliving all of those really difficult experiences in school or, or you know, getting bullied by a older cousins because I was acting a little bit more effeminate. I, I, every time they spoke about these stories, I literally was reimagining or transported to my own version of that. Right. And that was hard. That made the the, the conversations a very uh, emotionally taxing experience. And sometimes I'd find myself having to, after the interview was over, like excuse myself to the bathroom or just, just catch my breath for a moment because I was like reliving the closeted and coming out experience over and over again through uh, the, the conversations I was having with, with the, various men that I interviewed for the book. But what you just described is such a valid part of showing how much trauma this mm -hmm. journey brings into our world. I mean, I, I just turned 59 a few weeks ago. And even at 59, there are days that something will hit. And it's like, Ooh, I haven't, Ooh, I haven't felt that part of the wound in a long time, you know, and I've been out, I mean, I came out late in life, but I, I mean, I've been out since 1999 and some people would say, you would think the fuck you're over this. Like, no, <laughs> you don't get over this. Like, I mean, there's lots of it. You do. There's pieces of it. You just find like, let go. But, and then I'm not saying it'll take me to my knees, but sometimes it's like, Oh, wow. Especially when I'm working with clients. I mean, I work with guys coming out of the closet all the time. And, and I was working with a client just this week and, He's like, I just, I just don't even know if this is worth it. And he, he's only been out a, a couple of years and he's, you know, my age and he's getting discouraged and everything. And then he's like, but yet I feel the wounding. I mean, he goes, oh, I, I had somebody who kind of reject me and he goes, I realized, oh, that's the same rejection I felt, you know, as a young man many years ago. And I said, yeah, you're going to feel this rejection. There are going to be times it's going to show up in your world and you are literally least expecting to feel that pain. And then, oops, there it is, right? That's so true. I feel like it was, what was interesting to me was when I came out, it was not a smooth experience for me between me and my parents. Um, mm -hmm. Let's just say that <laughs> I grew up with them saying things like, oh, we just want to make sure you take care of us when you're older. We hope you marry a nice girl that is respectful to us. And that was just, <laughs> even if I didn't have the words in earlier in my childhood, I, there was something about that state that didn't necessarily mm -hmm. sit with me. And I didn't have the vocabulary yet to, to imagine myself as gay at that point. But 
I just stayed really uncomfortable with that statement. And nowadays, my parents, they're completely accepting of me. They they love my partner. They invite my gay friends to my house. They have my mom will cook breakfast for them on Sunday. We go out on a Sunday, on a Saturday night. Um, and it's it's great. But I I often find that whenever I see that experience of coming out rendered either in a book or on television, there's a show Love Victor. Mm-hmm. Um, which is on Hulu, and it's the experience of a of a Latino boy coming out within his family, and the tension between him and his mother, the way his mom just can't get past the fact that Victor's gay. She just does things that are. She loves him obviously, but they're incredibly passive aggressive and rude. It just brought me back to that same type of interaction that I used to have in the past, and it 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 hit like I, I was finding myself really emotional, even though that part of my life was like 20 years ago. <laughs> right. But there's this interesting piece of, you know, what you just described and, and I've, I've watched that show and there have been times that I'm like, Oh wow. That really hurts because in high school, I wasn't out. I was very hidden. I came out when I you know, got into college and then I went and hit again. But what I find so interesting about when we see these things start to play out and you, you kind of bring this forward, like these painful lessons in our manliness, in our manhood that suddenly hit us. But then a lot of times, and I'm (laughs) even at, again, at my age, it's almost like, Oh, but, if I react on that or do something on that, I can feel the pain of what's it going to bring to mom and dad. Yet I'm like, I'm 59 years old. I should just be done with this. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's not Mm -hmm. necessarily what happens. And I feel like you, especially, and I've worked with quite a few people of color in my, in my role as a coach through these closet doors. And honestly, those have been some of the toughest coaching times I've ever had to go through not because I have to create the the win-win right but just to hear the pain and 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 the beautiful loving loyalty that they hold to family not that I don't love my family but there is something about you know Filipino black you know Hispanic cultures that it's really so heavily family 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 that if this is not accepted it's almost it's beyond devastating and then you carry that through with you for year after year after year after year so as you interviewed some of these guys was there a commonality of experience like oh yeah that happened to every one of them that you can say yeah this is pretty consistent across the board one thing that was pretty consistent obviously like I interviewed over 60 young men. And of course, over the course of my life, I've probably talked to many more folks that fit the demographic of the, of the people I write about. But if there's anything that has struck me about the conversations that everyone had a coming out experience that was very difficult, even if they had, mm-hmm. there was one respondent that I spoke to one Mexican American guy whose mom was gay <laughs> and he grew up with his mom and her partner same household and even for him it was really difficult to come out because it was it was in it's in society that everything you learn about what it means to be gay is that being gay is a bad thing 
and and even um even if the coming out experience happened 20 years ago right it was also as if those events happened yesterday you could literally feel the emotion in the person's gestures and the movement the way that they spoke and the, the way their eyes were and and i just was really struck by how much that coming out experience whether it was the coming out to a sibling or especially to a parent that was etched in their bones and it was it was such a formative experience and i think another thing that i noticed among a lot of the folks that i interviewed was that growing up gay of course they've come to their their senses about being gay is like it's a totally okay identity to have but there was a lot of labor that went into them wanting to be, I guess you would frame it like the good kind of gay, the one who went right. to school that wasn't, you know, partying all the time or doing drugs or wasn't promiscuous. And even if they were having all this kind of fun on the side, right. like there was this pressure to have to embody uh, perfection to be uh, like twice as good in order to get half as far as a lot of folks in the black community. Way. And, and that was, um in some ways on the service it just looks like oh wow these these gay men are really resilient and high achieving people but when you dig a little deeper what what i noticed was that for, they for a very long time felt like their acceptance into this world was conditional on them having to be perfect and excellent all the mm -hmm. time yep but there's also another piece of this puzzle that you hit on which is the isolation that happens, okay, it happens for many of us that are coming out. We feel very isolated, right? And we all have family stuff. But there, again, and I'm coming back to my experiences with people of color, it's a, it is definitely a cultural thing. Because it's like, I know I have Filipino friends and Chinese friends, and it's like, your community is family, right? It's like, it is prevalent. So here you are. You're that only person kind of standing in this, or you believe you are that only person, but this going within the close-knit ethnic communities that you walk in, it's like you're hiding from everybody, not just your family. It's everybody. But yeah, I think that to some extent, it, maybe because like these are families of color and there's a, they live in communities where everybody knows everyone and right. they're very... <laughs> Like, let's just keep it real. Like gossip is a thing. Not right. to say that like white families don't have gossip or feel the need to look good and have good standing with people. Cause there are obviously a lot of examples of white families having to do that. Just watch the show succession on HBO. Right. And you see like, they're very, very much pressured to like embody a certain type of mold. But anyway, to your point, I feel like that's the thing with these, these communities is that they're so interconnected and what you do, like, I remember when I was a kid and I would act out and I would try to sort of assert my individuality and my mom or dad would always say things like, stop acting so American. And the and the mm. the subtext there was that you can't just act like you're an individual. You are your actions are a reflection of me as a parent, or they're a reflection of our community. There and even when you go to like college, for example, I did feel that same pressure and a lot of other people of color that I know felt that same pressure that if you're going to a school, particularly if it's predominantly white, what you do as a as a Mexican-American person or a Filipino person or, or, or an Asian-American person, it reflects on everybody that fits the identity, whether you want it to or not. 
So I think all of that stuff creates layers of tension and pressure for, for, for people to have to sift through. Um, And I mean, in some ways that's the nice thing about having gay spaces, particularly a lot of the gay spaces that I went to that were predominantly POC is that it was an arena where you didn't have to be the perfect gay Mexican or the perfect Filipino upstanding citizen you could go to those places and just be you and be at least for me what was important was that those were arenas where I was allowed to make mistakes and allowed to be a hot mess and allowed to be um, imperfect without penalty because everywhere else in the world felt like I had to adhere to a certain standard of, of, of being that was consistent with how my family wanted to see me or how my community wanted to see me. And that's just, it gets really exhausting. Mm-hmm. But you, you hit on something really big here. I love that statement. Imperfect without penalty and the guilt and shame that comes with, wait, I'm not make I'm not making the cut. I'm not living up to mom and dad's standards. I'm not, you know, I'm not showing up for my community. That's a really powerful phrase. And I, I love it. Imperfect without penalty, because the moment we think about who we are, Oh gosh, well, Suddenly it's like, yeah, you're out, right? It's like you are off the voice, you're off, whatever it is. It's that it's almost like the game show of life. Yet when we start to stand in our power and we start mm-hmm. to be truly who we are, that to me is when we start to realize there's nothing in, there's nothing imperfect about us. It's when we don't allow ourselves to be truly hard that the imperfection shows up. And I've talked to a lot of people about this. We've talked about it on this podcast several times that the moment you let go of of the expectations and the perfectionism that everybody else expects you to live by, even though they're not living by that in your own eyes and you start to see each other like, okay, wow, they're expecting me to be this, but then I'm expecting them to be this. Like, everything can change. I used to hold my parents to such a freaking high standard. Like, God dang it. You have to accept me as this. This is the way it has to be. This is how you have to show up. But then they were asking me to do the same thing. And then one day, and I'm not saying like, oof, my, my gay magic wand came out. I'm like, here, let's fix this bitch. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. I realized, wait, 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 wait a minute. I, I cannot hold them responsible to live by my standards any more than they can hold me responsible to live by their standards. I'm just mm-hmm. going to live. If that doesn't work for them, that actually isn't my responsibility. They are the ones who have to kind of like figure that out. Like, where do I fit in their world as their gay son? And I struggled a lot. I mean, again, I'm going to repeat. I know most people have heard this, but you know, I came out at 19. That wasn't going to cut it. I went back in the closet and then I came out at 36 And when I did at 36, I'm like, this is now me being me. I'm never not doing that again, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Okay, for those of you who can't see it, I'm doing air quotes because there are times where we aren't who we are until we're like, okay, we got to get a little more comfortable. But what I like about what you're bringing forth here, not only in this conversation, but in the book, is this, yes, it's a challenge as a person of color, mostly a man of color, since that's what your book is surrounded by, to stand in those places and be truly who you're supposed to be. But if you're not doing that, you're actually doing yourself even a bigger disservice by not showing up in that way. 
because mm-hmm. you being who you are is what is actually going to help you be the most powerful person you can be to continue the journey. Absolutely. I, I agree. And I think that it's a practice. It's not one of these things where it just, it, you're fixed, right? And oh, I yes, it is. That. It's just like losing weight. You just say <laughs> the weight's coming off and boom, it's done, right? Oh, man, we could talk. We have a whole episode about weight in the gay community. But <laughs> but to your yes, point, but, but we could also have a whole conversation about bald being beautiful because we're both rocking the bald. So let's I go there, right? This. I yes. do, too. I love not having any hair. It's like, I love it. Just mm-hmm. keep it shaved off and make it easy. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think but, this is uh, an interesting piece of that puzzle that the minute we let go of the belief that perfection is what's part of what's wrong with us is okay. We don't meet the standards. I always say, well, who fucking wrote the book on the standard? Really? Like, you know what? There is no standard, even in our own community. And maybe, maybe you can comment on this too, is even in our own community, we hold ourselves to such a freaking high standard to the weight. That's a really good example of it. And yet, there's a lot of guys in the community who are like, I like the big boys. There's a lot of guys in the community who are like, I like the little skinny twinks. Not mm-hmm. everybody is a, you know, well-built Adonis with, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. And no, no, don't hate me, guys. Muscle guys don't do a whole lot for me. I think they're pretty to you look know, at, but <laughs> it's just not my thing. I'm not very, I'm not very, um, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not very smitten for like the instigates with the perfect bodies. I almost feel like, and I don't know if I'm typecasting, <laughs> but I feel like it's, it's for someone whose uh, interactions are dependent on how their body looks to other people. What it means to me is you don't always have to develop other parts of your personality, like humor and kindness and empathy uh and again i'm typecasting there's obviously super hot people that are super super nice of course and and like um but like us, you know with- super we're super super <laughs> hot and super super nice okay i'm trying to embrace i'm trying to really embrace and lean into that aspect i was just at a gay bar yesterday thursday and doing karaoke in pomona and it's just been this wonderful place where unlike west hollywood i feel like uh, the boys in the in this little suburban bar in a predominantly Latino neighborhood, I feel like I get a lot more love than the 10 years I spent going out in West Hollywood because, you know, there's other pockets of the gay community where looks aren't everything, right? And I, I think that it's been a refreshing experience to untether from the need to have to fit that mold. I mean, I used to be someone that, like, dieted, like, there was no tomorrow and worked out twice a day. And, you know, what's interesting is that I feel like at some points I, I have conformed to that look of having a certain body or whatever, but you know what? It wasn't that rewarding in the end. Cause I felt like the folks that started to like me because I looked a certain way, weren't genuine in the first place. So. But that's a big self-awareness. Is when you when you can finally see that stuff, and I think this is the interesting thing, and in our culture in general, but especially in our gay culture, is when you start to see the self awareness that, okay, that may be what you believe you need to be, but I don't see that that's what I need to be, and I'm okay with that. This is who I am. Yeah. I'm not just okay. I am. 
I am so comfortable with who I am. Yes, I'm always striving to like, yeah, I'm a big guy. There's no doubt about it. I'm six foot four. I think I'm finally getting closer back down to that 295 space because COVID, you know, I just decided, okay, I'm going to be like everybody else. Oh my God, I can't do, which we couldn't do a whole lot. But now I'm back out on my bike and everything, but I, I've learned to embrace who I am in so many ways because if I don't embrace me, as RuPaul would say, who the fuck else is going to embrace you, right? So, <laughs> okay, I, I ripped her off on that one. But, you know, it is one of those things that I think the more we don't step into our power of embracing ourselves, the more damage we're going to continue to do, plain and simple. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's one thing I learned also over the course of doing these interviews that I didn't actually pick up on before I started, which was I I, I was... I, of course, when you interview these folks, it's a really intimate conversation. So you feel a sense of connection with them, even if they're strangers. But if there's one thing I noticed, there were some, there were, there was a lot of young men who I interviewed that no matter what they looked like, their height, their body type, um, what they were doing in life, they just exuded a sense of ownership over who they were and confidence mm -hmm. over who they were. And the way they navigated the world was just so unapologetic. And I found that that was what I found to be most attractive. These days, I feel like I'm more attracted to someone's vibe and energy, not to get all like granola, but someone's vibe, energy and confidence. Um, because what that tells me is that, hey, you don't look like the prescribed aesthetic for what it means to be hot or beautiful. And yet you are navigating the world like you are a gift from God. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way. I mean, like literally they they truly believe in like, their the power that they bring to to a space and uh, you know i it's something that i really really am trying to emulate and i find like people respond better to that more so than when i try to um be some bootleg version of some insta gay that that wears the right clothes or has the right body type i just like being myself now i'm not gonna mm -hmm. say like you i mean my my initial journey once i did come out i was living in laguna beach when laguna beach was a hot gay Mecca, so to speak. And yeah, I wanted to be in the right crowd and be seen, but then it didn't take me long to go, this isn't who I am. It's <laughs> just not. Mm -hmm. And to this day, that's not who I am. I, I don't do well with, I don't do well with surface, surface, surface socialization. I just, yeah. I can't, I mean, in certain situations, sure. Hey, how are you? Nice to see you. But I, I need more. I need connection. I need to feel somebody, not just touch them, feel them, but I need to like, <laughs> I need to feel the essence of them. And if I can't feel the essence of someone, I hate to say it, I, I don't really choose to have time for that anymore. Because if I can't, yeah. then I've, I've got better things to do with my time and better things to not, I'd rather not discriminate my time in that way, I'd rather invest my time in things that are really a better way to be in the world with people. No, and I'm not knocking people who I'm not saying again, I'm not knocking anybody who, Hey, that works for them because there's also people who like, Hey, just be in service with people that really makes me work because I'm afraid to be vulnerable. I'm afraid to go deeper or I don't feel comfortable going deeper. Okay. Well, that's, that's something that, Hey, you get to work on. I'm not going to knock you for it, but, um, I do find in our community, sometimes it's like, let's just be surface because then we don't really have to get to know each other, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it, to, 
one of the things you said about it's important to be yourself and to have others that really get the essence of who you are. I think this is where with the with what I realized with the with the men that I interviewed where the immigrant experience or or the even the person of color experience and come into play and why sometimes when they would enter mainstream gay spaces, whether it was a college student org or 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 a bar or a club that was mostly white patrons, those spaces could prove challenging to form those type of real connections because there were these major aspects of their identity, whether it meant being a, a child of immigrants or whether it was the experience of having been discriminated again based on based off race or of course like issues of um, class inequality. Uh, those were major formative aspects of people's lives that sometimes in 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 gay spaces folks didn't always understand and so that's why I felt like when I was interviewing the men they felt really drawn to at least at first when they're coming out to the experience to, to, to spaces where there were other folks of color and I think like what's interesting about that is in some ways I can relate to that inclination but this is where I think like the power of telling our stories and learning gay history and 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 reading about what it means to be queer not just today but in previous generations it, it can really serve as a way to bridge that gap that I think exists between gays of different races or, or or ethnicities or class backgrounds because I feel like the more I've read about the gay rights movement the act up move, movement during the, the 80s and 90s I feel a lot more sense of solidarity with gay folks across the race um, now after having read that stuff because I feel like, oh, I feel connected to that history. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a part of it as well. I sense that from the book and the way you brought that about because if we don't connect to these guys' stories, then we're missing another piece of the puzzle. You know, some people are like, well, okay, so what? Why, why are we, you know, okay. <laughs> So I get it on my soapbox. Well, why do we need pride anymore? I mean, I've heard this in my own, our own community. I don't go to a lot of prides, a because we live in kind of in the middle of nowhere now. But I don't feel the need to go to a pride really. But I'm not mm. going to tell somebody else not to. It's like that's just not my thing anymore. But until and we're kind of on the cusp of, hmm, are we really going to have to start fighting again? You know. But until this no longer has to be a conversation. I think power to the pride, you know, mm -hmm. because I don't care if you're like, well, we don't have heterosexual pride. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> really? You want to have that conversation? You don't have to struggle with some of this stuff. And then add in the layer of being a person of color and all these other things that start to come in when, you know, I always share this piece when we have these conversations, you and I could walk down the street together. The only commonality they're probably going to see is, hey, two bald guys, right? I am never going to get found out for being gay. Because unless I do something super, super gay walking down the street, I don't think anybody's going to really think it. You, however, are going to be found out for being a person of color because you can't hide it. There's mm -hmm. nothing you can hide. Now, layer on that you happen to be a, a man of color who is also queer, it's like suddenly everything starts to get layered. And when we don't see these pieces of the puzzle clearly, it's very, very, very hard to understand why we still need pride. Mm -hmm. 
and why we still need to be carrying the flag and why we still need to be saying until we are equal beyond a shadow of a doubt, this will oh, never yeah. stop. I think these public displays of, of, of gay pride and queer pride are crucial because I feel like, you know, I was someone that for maybe the first 20 years of my life didn't even, maybe I thought about being gay or, or had like questioning thoughts or attraction to men, but I never said those things out loud. And it was witnessing the fabulousness that was in front of me at pride events uh, that really emboldened me to really explore this aspect of my identity. And I was watching from a distance. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, little bit too afraid to go into a pride venue myself or to in college to go into the lgbtq pride center those were very very scary moves even like i remember the bookstore borders they had a, a gay and lesbian section and i remember i would like try to see the titles from afar but if right. i would be deathly afraid if anyone ever <laughs> perceived that i might be wanting to go to that section it was like i was that level of paranoid and so it's it means something to have a pride event where you can see, you know, gender bending men, women, non-binary folks just being out loud and proud. And that's what I learned. I used to, I think when I first came out, I I and and I've heard this in some of the men's stories as well. I used to, and this is very problematic, like valorize the gay men who could sort of fit in with straight society, right? They could be sort of swim through and folks not clock them for being gay. But what I learned is, and especially with when I talked to the young men who were unapologetically effeminate, I was like, wow, those folks, I feel had the the, the largest levels of courage because there was no hiding for them. In the, in, in the same way you mentioned, like as me as a person of color, it's noticeable. <laughs> like for these folks that were young men that are effeminate, there was no fronting <laughs> about passing us straight. That's just an impossibility right. in the same way it was for some other men. And I think that what that means is that you just get more shit on the daily. Um, but what it means too, is that they're able to reach that point faster where they're going to be unapologetically who they are and not, not worry about it. And what a freeing place that is to be. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't think a lot of people can put their finger on that until they've actually experienced. I was um, in fact, um, I think, yes, it was um, August the 17th, the podcast came out where I interviewed a pastor by the name of Colby Martin. He has a book called Unclobbered. And in the and great interview, I love this book. It is one of the best books on how the Bible passages absolutely have been so, sorry, God, so fucking misinterpreted that it's crazy. And he does a really good job of like, you have to look at the history and you have to look at the point in time and what those phrases actually meant and all this sort of stuff. And in the midst of the interview, he says, I'll never forget because he got booted out of his evangelical church and went and got booted out of another one because he started exploring all this. And now he has a church in San Diego. And he said, and we, we, we just love marching in the pride parade. And he goes, I remember the very first pride parade our church marched in. He goes, I am walking down that parade route, staring at all these beautiful LGBTQ liberated people. And I never realized what liberation really looked like until I saw that. Wow. I like, I'm reaching for my mouse because I know I'm looking up this episode that I'm definitely going to listen to now. Yeah, and I, it's I really like I need that book. Yeah, it's a great book. He is so powerful in how he talks about this. 
and and he's really cute too so we'll just go there but um, <laughs> um but um i've never i've never heard anybody quite quite put it in that realm of being able to really see what liberation really looks like and he oh. even i think and i think he even said like you know people half you know half naked and all he goes that's what really liberation really looks like and and you know it just it gave me goosebumps it's giving me goosebumps even now talking about it because i'm like Here's somebody that should absolutely positively still be damning us all to hell. But to see that shift, that's beautiful. And as the work I've done and the book you were bringing out here, I always look at it through those lenses of how can we continue to free people, free people to be themselves. That to me is the goal. That's a big move to, I mean, if I was a attendee of this pride event and I saw some clergy member or someone that was very obviously part of the church marching in pride, that would be a, a, a huge mind fuck for me. Cause I just assume that members of Christianity are automatically going to be antagonistic to being gay, or at least like at best be tolerant maybe, but not embracing. There was this one time where, um, for my first book, I had a, I had a priest from the local Catholic church in the neighborhood I grew up in. He reached out to ask me questions about that book, which is not necessarily related to sexuality. It's related more to like Filipino identity. But when I got to that coffee shop where he asked me to meet him, he was the one to bring up and ask the question, oh, how's your partner? Do you have a partner? What's his name? What does he do? And I... This happened maybe a year or two ago and i kind of tell you i was mind blown that a priest in all his like his priest catholic getup was telling me about my my partner and how we met and it just reminded me of how much all the times i went to church i went to catholic school from kindergarten through 12th how much the possibility of that didn't even enter my mind until a religious leader took it upon himself to ask those questions, wanting to learn arenas of my life that I feel are very important to me that I felt like were stigmatized by the Catholic church. Yeah. I really love that story you told about um, Colby Martin. I feel like that's a book. I feel like I want to buy a couple copies of that book and (laughs) hide it under the Christmas tree during our big Filipino Christmas and give it to the aunts and uncles. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So I'm curious for you, the book, you know, the book is freshly out. This is like a, a big, I wouldn't anticipate kind of a big coming out again yet for you. Like you're really, you're putting it out on the line here. Like this is, these are stories. This is me. This is how I see the world. Any trepidation around that? Uh, No, I think that, <laughs> I think that. I learned a lot from having written a book before that there's a lot of fear that goes into um, wanting to write. Like there's a lot of anxiety I had about making sure I get the story right. Right. Uh, Same thing with this book. I wanted to make sure that I got the story right. I felt a lot of pressure, especially in the aftermath of the pulse shooting when I felt like I needed to write a book that was going to make an impact. And then at some point I realized, you know what, why am I, why am I taking on the responsibility to have to write the book that has to be everything for everyone? Like other folks don't feel that same pressure. And so I just thought I sort of limited, I just told myself, I want to write really good stories. I want to make sure I render 
the 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 stories that these young men shared with me were so courageous enough to share with me i want to do it well i want to do well by them i want to make sure that i'm not exploiting their stories for the sake of spectacle because right. I, I feel like sometimes that can happen too where people lay out a bunch of trauma porn and then it's like consumed by straight folks right and yep. so it's um for me i feel like i went through all those anxieties before the book was written luckily i had a community of writers that i was i, I told them straight up yo you got to check me if i say something fucked up or i phrase something wrong right please check me and the earlier iterations of the book i i was guilty of that i may have said stuff that was um not outrageously discriminatory but sort of reflected my own internalized whatever femme phobia queer phobia and i i went through a lot to move past that and so by the time the book was turned in i feel pretty okay about it and sometimes because my entire social network is mostly other brown black and brown queer men when i'm living in those social circles it can almost feel like what i'm writing feels dated and and boring and obsolete because everyone around me like that's the normal experience but i forget that when i go out into the world to to other places beyond this small group of men that i have these are topics that people haven't even started to think about and exactly. for, for that for that it's going to be an exciting thing to witness how folks react well there's so so many people in these fringes. I mean, I've experienced this. It's almost like there's this interest. Well, I shouldn't say interesting, but there's this, there's this racism that exists. And we've seen it. I've seen it on the apps, you know, no femmes, no, you know, no Asians, no black, no blah, blah. It's like, there we go, mm-hmm. you know, but even as a guy who came out later in life, I've been called a breeder. Oh, wow. You, you actually, Oh, wow. You, you know, okay, now I'm going to have to, you know, definitely mark this episode, you know, explicit, but you fucked a pussy. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> You're not a gold star. <laughs> I'm not, you know, and it's like, oh my goodness, this, wow, you know, but these are those moments where you realize how much work there is still to be done. There is, there is quite a bit of, not as, I don't think it's near as much as it used to be, but yeah, there used to be like, man, if you were, a guy who'd been married in a heterosexual relationship, you were not, you were not to be touched. I'm like, now we're kind of like, Hey, you know how to do a relationship, even though you fucked that one up because you were hiding in the closet. But there's things that there are guys like, yeah, I'd much rather be with a guy who has been married in a heterosexual relationship and was in it for a while. As long as they're not just coming out. Cause that's a whole fucked up mess in and of yeah. itself. But, and I love you guys who are just doing that. Don't get me wrong. That's why that's why I get to coach you. But um, it's such an interesting, interesting space to play in when we can see, ooh, I'm in this fringe group, and ooh, I'm in this fringe group, and wow. But in our own little world, it's it's all good, right? Mm-hmm. But the moment you step out, it's like, wait, whoa. <laughs> the rest of the world hasn't have actually caught up with where I am. So yeah, good for let's keep having the dialogue. And when I, when I saw your book, I'm like, I was really, I was really proud to see somebody going, we're going there. We're going to go there. We're going to have this conversation because we're still not even close to 
getting this acceptable throughout our own community and the world at large. Oh, I feel like there's a whole lot that I didn't even get to scratch the surface on. I'm sure I you do. Like I to keep it at a level of uh, that was digestible by a wide audience. But for mm -hmm. me, I feel like if I ever write a sequel, I want to write things about polyamory and non-consensual monogamy and just like other types of sexual the way sexuality is not just as simple as checking a box of like i'm gay i'm i'm straight i'm lesbian whatever it's so much more nuanced and i feel like i've learned so much when i've indulged in in my connections with queer folks who don't fit the mold who don't want to be the people with the white picket fence and not that there's anything wrong with that but right. i think that um there's there's so much I've learned from queer people who break the rules. In fact, I felt like, you know, of course I'm in support of gay marriage, but I there was a, also a tiny part of me that was like, oh, I hope this doesn't mean that like there's gonna be generations of gay people who will feel unafraid to break the rules of what a good relationship looks like. Uh, right. Because I think with the beauty of queer community is that we constantly get to reimagine what we can be. Yeah. And we get to write our yeah. own rules. And that's, I think, liberating, not for just for us, but what I've learned is it's also liberating for heterosexual and straight people that take it upon themselves to learn about queer communities. Well, and who just take it upon themselves to, to learn about other ways of being in relationship. That's exactly. to me like, I mean... I've had this conversation way more times than I even want to talk about it, but you know, first of all, back to your, you know, your gay marriage thing. Oh, well, so now everybody's going to think that we all need to get married and we need to be like, no, that, that wasn't the point. It's about equality. And thank mm -hmm. God we can get here because maybe at some point somebody will, that said that will go, wow, actually I do want to be married and take advantage of having a relationship and getting the tax breaks and now that that's what it's all about but like being able to walk into a hospital room with your partner without being questioned about that you know mm -hmm. but it's also about giving people permission to go hey this is what works for us not meaning you have to do it and the hatefulness and judgment that comes from anybody who doesn't have whatever form of traditional relationship even in our community is sometimes appalling to me yeah yeah i totally agree I instead totally of just agree. letting people do their relationships the way that work for them and if they crash and burn then that's on them <laughs> it's not on anything else but um i think it's beautiful that you're willing to go there and i can't wait if you go for that book um i i have i you and i should talk about that because i could give you <laughs> lots of content on that but um it's in, it is interesting so um thank you for doing what you're doing man and being who you are out there in the world and bringing this to the place where it opens, hopefully opens a lot of eyeballs to this is the reality and here's some of the wounding and here's how you can move beyond it. And each time something like this comes out in the world, to me, it always is almost like another gay angel gets their wing. Right. So there we go. But um, <laughs> Thank thanks you. for, Thank you. for doing this, Anthony and anybody who is listening. I always, when I have authors on, try to almost always say, let me know that you'd like a copy of Anthony's book. And I would be glad to send it to you. Um, rules apply. If you've already gotten a book, then 
you can't get a book every time somebody Rick says, I'm going to give a book out. But um, if you have not received his book, um, send me an email, rick at rickclemens.com, and I will get a copy sent to you on, on my dime. So um, anyway, any last oh, words before? Amazing, Rick. That is, that is, I've never, that's the first time I've had a situation where someone does something like that. I love it. It's great. Well, it's part of what I do because I believe in getting other people's books out in the world. So anyway, all right, my friend, thank you again for being here. We so appreciate you. And if you want to connect with Anthony, all the information will be on his website. The best place to um, connect with you is anthonyocampo.com, right? Yeah, it's just anthony.ocampo.com at gmail.com. Uh, oh, yeah, that's my email. But all the Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff is on there as well. Perfect, perfect. All right, my friend. Thanks so much for a great conversation. Everybody, we appreciate you being listeners and go out and keep stepping out, stepping up and stepping in to be in your unapologetic self. Thanks, Rick. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted. <laughs>